metaphors, signs, and messages from the great beyond. So, this will be my second episode since I got back from the mountains. This would be episode number 19 of Psychotherapy with Jet Dunlap. I'm your host, Jet Dunlap, and psychotherapy is what I do, I guess. If by what you do is something that is or is not recognized by other people, that's kind of a, I guess I'm jabbing myself yet again for the fact that I don't know if anyone's listening out there. Do you hear me out there? Maybe. So signs, messages, and whatever else I said, episode 19. I would say that since I was a pup, I've had inklings. And, you know, as you get older and you go to therapy for a long time and you investigate yourself and the human condition, which you know by listening to this show, I have done extensively, almost um, to a level of obsession at different parts of my life, not currently, but definitely something I completely obsessed over for a while. But even as a kid, I had this kind of, uh, I guess you would call it as OCD, I would have this feeling that I had to do a thing or had to be in a place or had to move, you know, an object in my room in order for things to be right. And I also was plagued from the time that I can remember um, with night terrors. And those first occurred when I lived in Silver Lake. And I was kind of obsessed with the hallway at our house. And this was prior to me even being nine years old. The hallway was in this Spanish style LA home in uh, Silver Lake, which is really close to downtown LA. And it had one of those curved hallways, again, Spanish style picture, like plaster curved ceiling. And it was really, really long as I remembered it as a kid. It was so long that, oh, it had a wooden floor, one of those polished wooden floors. Um, My dad was, of course, OCD and cleaned everything constantly. As a matter of fact, our faux Persian rugs had tassels on the side, and he would comb those tassels uh, to make sure the tassels were in order. And if we kicked him, he'd comb them and get angry. So a guy who was a little obsessed. And going back to the hallway, it was this long wooden hallway. And as a kid, we would take these uh, diapers that my dad, cloth diapers my dad would use for cleaning wood. And we'd put some pledge on it, and we would run and slide down this hallway. On our knees, this is like the very, very urban version of sledding, I guess, because we'd actually get pretty far. And as a kid, you you know, it was pretty fun. But at night, this hallway became evil for me, an evil hallway. And what I saw in the hallway when I would go out in my night terrors, which was a lot like when I lost my mind, because I was only peripherally aware of my consciousness while I took a back seat in my head to watch myself unfold in this terrifying adventure that I had no control over. Well, while I was there observing myself move, night terrors, I would actually walk around. I saw this giant object in the hallway. It was a giant, free-floating triangle, long triangle. At one side, it was cylindrical. And it was met at the end by a very tiny object, circular, but a speck of dust. And the gap between this massively, I didn't mention how pointy this triangle was that free floated in the hallway. At the end of it was this speck of dust about four or five inches away. And I'd always see it in my head. And there's probably someone listening to this right now who's like, oh yeah, you're psychotic. We should stop listening to this guy because he's psychotic. If you see that triangle and that speck of dust, that is a clear sign that you are a madman. But of course, that's just my paranoia thinking that 
someone's going to diagnose my night terrors as a kid. Remotely from a show that has a viewer. A viewer? Why do we have a viewer for this show? It's an audio show, so it has a listener. Again, another jab at myself for not having a larger audience. So this massive, pointy, cylindrical object in a shape of a triangle that was free-floating had an object in front of it by about four or five inches also free-floating that was the size of a grain of sand. And I'd see this in the hallway and it terrified me. And I'd tear up my chest and I'd try and run outside. Now, this was something that plagued me so many times as a child. This same imagery, sometimes in the woods of Santa Cruz, sometimes in the mountains, wherever I was and I was under stress, especially when I was coming close to my first week of school, I would try and run outside of the house as far as I could. And sometimes my parents would find me outside. So those were night terrors. And the real manifestation, the coming of a head to this, is when I lost my mind in 2016, 17. And I was hospitalized for it. It was like the personification of this night terror, except it was a thousand times more powerful in every single second for a much more extended period of time. And I couldn't go to bed. I would walk around screaming. And I've told you the story before where at one point I was wearing my clothes, had the shower on in my house and was just drenching myself in water trying to wake up. And all I was doing was screaming. I even jumped in the pool near our house that was completely full of like leaves and everything to try and wake myself up and nothing worked. I was like trying to wake myself up from a sleep that did not occur. Anyway, that is not what this podcast is about. That is not what this podcast about. That is not what this podcast about. That is not what this podcast is about. Could be the name of this show. Because where it used to be, I digress. Now it is, hey, listen, all that stuff I just said, that is not what this podcast is about. Maybe it is what this podcast is about for you, so I should stop judging what this show is. Last episode, I talked about how I unprepare. Well, if you're going to unprepare, Jet, and then you're going to say a bunch of stuff, you can't say it's not about that because it might be about that for the person listening, okay? And do you see there I didn't jab myself for saying a person listening? Because again, I'm going to try and be nice to myself because I'm my best friend, and it all starts there, friend, friend being me. Okay, so signs. So a kid who has these kind of experiences as a youngster may have been tied to dyslexia. I have certain neurons firing and misfiring in my brain. Maybe tied to the ADD that I was diagnosed with much later. Maybe tied to depression. Who knows? I have weird blood counts and all that mysterious stuff that makes me who I am. But when you're like that as a kid and you have such intense phobias and fears and anxieties, well, then there's the flip side. I had an amazing sense of imagination. And when you have a really creative imagination, you are able to extrapolate things from your environment and project them with meaning. Now, here's the problem with that. If from when I was a child till five minutes ago, because this is still a current condition for me, if that imagination projected in the current moment out into the future was always wrong, perception, let's call it that, precognition, if you really want to get fancy and fun. If that was always wrong, I would stop believing in it. And this is where it gets tricky. Some of the time in my life as a Jet Dunlap, and even prior as a Jeremy Dunlap, spoiler alert, do you know what that means? What that little hint was into myself? Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. 
If it was always wrong, my precognition, then it would be dismissed. If you're always wrong about something, you're going to stop. Unless it's an addiction, like drinking or gambling, but in most cases, you're going to stop. I am not always wrong. And all the way back to when I was a kid, and my mom could testify to this, and she is not a person who likes to brag or exaggerate about old Jet Dunlap. But sometimes, I was right. And a lot of times, I was creepily right, in ways that my intuition or my feeling manifested. In a global sense, something big that happened on TV, or not like in a show, but in the news. Or something in my life or something, you know, 20 years out, I started this podcast talking about, well, not started, but one of the episodes was about how my grandfather spoke to me through a 20-year-old journal that I had written that fell out of my safe onto the floor onto the specific page that was talking about my grandmother's death at the same cemetery on a day I don't ever remember occurring, if not for this journal entry that appeared to me, and answered a question that I had literally been talking to my wife about with uh, regards to my grandfather moments earlier. So to backtrack that, to make more sense, my wife and I were talking in the car earlier about an event, and I was asking questions to the world kind of openly. Hey, what does this mean? What does that mean? Um, Those questions were answered very quickly, about two hours later when I came home, and when I opened my safe, my journal fell out to a specific page from 20 years ago and explained the conversation exactly the way we had just had it in the car. Now, I accept fully that you can say that's BS, that's bunk, that's bunk. That's a new character who says, that's bunk. You can say that's bunk, you can say it's BS, you can say whatever you want it to be, you know, because I'm not here to convince you. But that is how it happened. And it's funny because I think years ago I would have been like, well, and that's what I felt, I think, no, but that's what happened. And there's a lot more to this story that's even spookier, but I'm not going to go into that now. And there's been a lot more circumstances like that in my life that are unexplainable and what I call beyond coincidence. So bringing it back to the conversation or the start of this podcast, which is signs, intuition, and whatever else I said, because Lord knows I don't know what I said a second ago. If you're a believer in this, you're probably listening to me. So if you're, you know, someone who's skeptical in this world uh, or this violates your religious beliefs, feel free to tune out. That sounds mean and jabby, but I guess I'm just saying that if this isn't your cup of tea or you like coffee and I'm giving you tea, please feel free. Uh Oh, I'm rhyming all the time and to go somewhere else. Um, I guess I'm just guy in that mood. So If I am a person who has had this experience, this kind of supernatural experience since I was a kid going all the way back to the night terrors, but even before that, does that mean I have an overactive imagination? Sure. But when it comes true, how do you explain it? So the problem as I am an adult, now a person who's really studied this subject, looked into these phenomenon and studied up on personal development and self-development anyway, uh, respectively, sorry, not in any way, I have to force myself to look at things that appear in my mind and in my life with a different optical vantage point. Meaning, if you have a lot of weird coincidences happen in your life, then you may have a tendency to start viewing things in your life or all things in your life as signs. Now, when you do that, I spoke to this a little bit in the last podcast, I am easily distractible because something will come up in my life that was meant to be dismissed. Now, this of course, has to be understood through the concept of there being an ultimate true self. Now, not that there's one true self, not that there is a soulmate. I believe there's a collection of those things, but I believe you have a right path and I believe you have a right type of person. So it may not be one or two. The world is big, but 
you know, you can find the right person in the right path and you'll know when you're on it. So I say that to say that I'm easily distractible because I'll get this feeling of extreme coincidence and a lot of kind of serendipity and what people would call fate moments. And then I'll latch on to something that is not what I'm supposed to do. And I talked about that last time in the sense that I'll, I'll see a job that appears in front of me and maybe it was even intended as a distraction. And I'll take it because I think, oh my gosh, I've been waiting forever and look at all these signs. This must be what I'm supposed to do. Now in the back of my head or wherever this kind of sensation is kept, maybe not in the back of my head, I may even know that this isn't the right thing, but I'm like, it's the thing right now and that's good enough because I don't want to wait forever. When you start having this mounting synchronicity, you think, well, we better act. It's funny that I say we, but I think you get my meaning. And so I'll act on something that's not the right wave, right? I like calling it, you know, like big wave riding or surfing because you can get something, but it's not the right one. And you'll know, you know that energy of when it is right or being in the flow, And so I'll go for the distraction because I don't want to wait. And it takes a little denial to say, hey, wait a second, this isn't what I should be doing. And then I'll say, oh, well, maybe it is what you should be doing. You're just trying to get out of it, blah, blah, blah. And then I end up doing a thing I don't want to do or being in a situation I don't want to be because I left the moment. So here I am in real life, in the moment that I am right now seeking you, going, okay, I've had all these signs. I've had all these incredible moments. I've had all these... uh, mounting synchronicities, what do I do? Where do I go? And everything in my soul and heart is telling me to wait. Oh my God. Can you imagine being told that? Maybe you are one of these people. Can you imagine being told that as a person who has ADD, dyslexia, and depression? I am basically held together by releasing my adrenaline, whether it's running or doing something like that, or, you know, triage, doing a lot of stuff at once. So if I'm told, hey, wait a second, you have to wait a second, and however long that second is, you don't know, I get pretty fussy, and I get all over the place mentally. And I have to discipline my disappointment, I have to discipline my mounting tension towards wanting a direct answer, but that's not how this works, I think we know. And that's tough. So what I'm trying to do right now in my life is wait to wait. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm trying to say to myself, trying to say to myself, or am I actually saying to myself right now? I'm saying to myself right now, you know you're supposed to wait for the thing. The thing. Don't be distracted by anything. But waiting for the thing is an act in blind faith. And that's tough for me, even though I happen to now be, again, a believer. It's tough for me because for two years, a little more, from when I lost my mind, I was a complete and utter atheist. That was the most recent, until it ended in May, after my grandfather died. But I oscillated, and my least amount of faith came over the last two years, and then was reinstated after the synchronicity that occurred after the death of my grandfather. So I believe that I'm in the right place. I believe that I'm in the right time. And I have the signs to know that I am in the right stream doing what I'm doing with you. But as I said in the last episode, I want my Oompa Loompa now, daddy. How did that work out when she tried to get her Oompa Loompa? Didn't she go into that river of chocolate or something? It's been a long time since I've seen Charles in his chocolate factory. But I know, like that girl who wanted the Oompa Loompa, this isn't the moment for me to jump on something that's not the real thing just because I don't have the patience. 
Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever had this happen? Maybe you are fortunate enough to be in the thing that you were supposed to be doing and you're, you're laughing, thinking, wow, Jet. And I have micro examples of this in my life, right? And I've seen it in other people. So there's not like it's not a precedent. There isn't a precedent for this. There is. I've seen it. I've known it. And I know where I am. I know in a place where knowing comes from, not in a place where guessing is. But you know, it's your weaker moments. Weaker. Weaker. In your weaker moments, you question it. And at your weakest moments, you go, you are a fool, Jet. You don't say Jet, but I do because that's me. I think you're silly. You're being crazy. You're wasting your time. Then I wake up. I have a sandwich. And I go, no, you're not. You're in the right stream. Don't give up on this. But inaction being the proper action is a tough thing to do because there's no action in it, right? I always used to say that I wish I had a handhold in what I was supposed to be doing. And usually that was in reference to the television industry or film industry. And what I meant by handhold is that I just wanted something to climb, which is funny because now I literally do rock climbing. But uh, I just wanted to have my hands on something that I could get into. And right now, what I'm supposed to get into is not doing anything. And that's tough. The waiting game. Much less entertaining than Hungry Hungry Hippos. Although Hungry Hungry Hippos, you, there was, you know, the only person who won was the guy who tilted the thing to the side because then all the marbles would go in the hippo's mouth. So I cheated at Hungry Hungry Hippos. But I can't cheat at this. I can't be the hungriest, hungriest hippo in this situation. And sometimes I guess the moral of this podcast is that waiting is the only answer. Waiting is a choice sometimes. You know when it is the right choice, okay? And this is where the rubber really meets the road, is that you also have waited for a thing in a negative space when you knew you were supposed to do that challenge in your life. And you said, the the right move is waiting. Now you waited because you were afraid, because you were nervous, because you didn't want to start at zero, that's not what I'm talking about. The negative side of this would have been if I said and had in the past said, well, I'm going to wait to get sober. I need to X, Y, Z. That waiting was a negative one. And I knew it was. Because in our heart of heart, I think if you actually take a little time for self-reflection and every person has had this when they are hung over or on the tail side of something that feels incredibly good instantaneously, you always go, well, I'll never do that again. I'm not talking about waiting on something like that. Quitting drinking, you should probably do that if you're considering it. Going up to that person that you've been in love with for five years, like in love actually, go do it. That's not what I'm talking about, if the moment's right. I'm talking about that thing where you know the moment isn't right yet. And that's why I go back to, you know, surfing. Which is a funny analogy that I keep coming back to. I did live on the ocean in Santa Cruz, and I always loved the ocean. I use that analogy because you can't force the ocean. And so my best choice is waiting. But boy, what a tough one, right? A tough one for your action to be in action, like passive resistance, right? I know that I must wait for the moment. I used to think, and I was telling my wife this yesterday when we were in the hot tub. Yes, we have a hot tub. And yes, I have a wife. I was telling her in the hot tub. Why was that? Why did that voice come out? I was telling her in the hot tub that, uh, or reminding her, that I wanted to make a book 10 years ago, maybe even longer, called Making It. The idea of this was that I kept hearing these personal development people, and they were always talking about something that had happened 20 years ago. 
And I've talked about this a lot, but I'm going to again. I didn't like the idea of someone standing on stage who had $50 million saying, oh, I remember when I was poor, because it's just too glossy. So I thought I'll write a book about me being poor. And in the midst of this book, through my faith, I believed that I would become wealthy and you would see that transference. Now I've done that with my journals. But what I'm doing right now, and the reason I'm keeping on this topic about knowing that I'm on the right path, but knowing waiting is the right move, is that I want you to hear that right now, I have very little physical and tangible information that tells me, I am saying very little, and that may even be too much. I have nearly no tangible evidence that anything is going to happen. Let me tell you about my prospects. You know that I started this because of a guy named Ken who didn't interview with me that was on a website called Free Hugs Project. And that was the catalyst for this because right before I got that interview, I my grandfather had just passed. So I felt like being really honest was the first time I ever talked about my addiction. And this started the ball rolling with what we're doing now. And he said he introduced me to an agent who was going to represent me who potentially could have me go to colleges and speak on addiction. I hadn't even figured out what I was going to speak on because I hadn't fleshed out the concept of what the show was yet. That was the catalyst. And both my wife and I drove home from there and that interview at YouTube Studios. And we thought, this is something. Kind of an unspoken something. And again, you can relate to this. You've had it in your life. And we knew it was the right thing. But that's what I've been acting on going into episode 19 right now. I know that it's the right thing. I have no evidence. I have no view. I have keep seeing viewers because I used to do video. I have no listeners except for two people that I know of, but I still have that faith. And that's why I am doing this right now because there is no reason for me to believe it. And when this becomes successful, you will be able to hear me now, August 21st, a Wednesday, and 2019, our Lord, your Lord, everybody's Lord. You'll be able to hear that I didn't know what's going to happen. So when it happens, and I feel that it will, you know, there's still that inkling in me that goes, you're crazy, Jet. This is going to fall on deaf ears. No one's going to ever hear it. You're never going to be anything. And this will just serve as a cautionary tale, except it won't because no one will listen to it. Do you hear that? That negativity in my head that is telling me how wrong I am? I still have that voice. Even though I have an overwhelming faith inside of me and have had signs, basically, from the great beyond, from my grandfather, you know, beyond the grave, telling me what was going on. And that coinciding with the moment of this interview that I did that led to this show. Even though I have that, I can deny that and say, oh no, I'm going to be a loser and nothing's going to happen. So if you feel that way, know that you're not alone. Again, because that's what I feel right now, even though I have all this faith and feeling that it's also the right thing. It's contradictory information. But I'm banking on this, right? that this is going to be a thing and that you will be here for that process better than making it the book that I was going to do. Because making it the book would not have had this resonance. It wouldn't have had this texture. It wouldn't have had this authenticity and you wouldn't have heard my voice before and after. What are you hearing right now? Before, obviously. But at this moment, I feel that sensation. And this podcast kind of started with how do you differentiate between those two things? I believe whatever your process is, and there are better shows out there for how to gain this process, but whether it's meditation, my best one is running, a running meditation, because that's when I'm able to kind of close off my brain's, you know, objections. (laughs) Basically, if I try and just meditate, my brain will come up with all these, you know, oh, look, squirrel kind of thing. You know, I, I have that ADD problem. Yoga, running, whatever it is, I think that when you hit some kind of stream, you get to know to a certain degree, for some of us, it'll be stronger than others, what is right and what is wrong, what is what you want and what is what you need. And I know when I am right now, 
even though the evidence isn't there. I know it is happening behind the scenes of what I cannot see. Call it a universe, call it God, call it whatever you want. I can feel that mounting energy. But at my weaker moments, I deny it. When I'm hungry, I deny it. When I feel depressed, I deny it. When I'm tired, I deny it. But when I'm at my most true and open, I know what's happening next. And as always, I don't know what this podcast is for or who it's for. I have a little bit of a clue this time of who it's for. Someone who's been questioning the same things I have, but knows where they're supposed to be. So I'm here to tell you an external voice, if you did hear this podcast and listen to the whole show, that you're on that right track if you found me when you were questioning this. And let this serve as the sign in your life that you should keep going. And let's end on that. I am Jet Dunlap. This was, and will be, Psychotherapy. Thank you very much for listening.